Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. written two days before she was murdered. Where did you find that? In this score, she must have left it here. It's written by somebody called Sergius Bauer. Give it to me. He said I wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. You're not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. But why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And you thought I was being cool to you. <laughs> Keeping no, people away not from cruel. you, making you a prisoner. <laughs> oh, you're the kindest man in the world. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter. It might not be morning where you are listening to it, but it's morning where I am. And uh, Sorry, that's morning it. where I am recording it. Or across the world, Andrew. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that that voice you hear is Dave, and yes, my name is Andrew, and, and we're here to talk about Best Picture winners and the losers, and whether they matter or not. I forgot to give the description of what this show is about in the last episode, but that doesn't matter, just like the film that we discussed. What are we discussing this time around? Uh, we're going to be discussing a movie whose title has now become synonymous with the idea of, you know, lying to someone over and over again um, so they think they're going crazy. So we were talking about Gaslight, which I did not realize until this very moment is actually a remake. Um, there's an older movie called Gaslight from 1940, but this is the one that's important. This is the one we're going to talk about because this is the one that was nominated for an Academy Award. And Gaslight rules. This movie is so good, Andrew. This is so much better than the trash that won. Oh, man, I love this movie. I had such a good time with this. This is one I'm going to revisit for sure. Okay, cool. I, I guess as well, given the discussion that we're going to have, I don't know where this is going to go, um, but I guess we should probably give a little bit of a trigger warning for people who, um, because this is a really, like, as you're saying, this is a term that has become a cultural thing and mm-hmm. it has given a label to something that happens to a lot of people. Uh, and I think that is something that is really difficult for folks to kind of get around. And so if the subject of being gaslit or manipulation or abuse um, is hard for you to listen to, then maybe give this episode a skip uh, and mm-hmm. certainly give Gaslight a skip because this is one oh. of the most anxiety-producing films I've seen in a while. <laughs> this yes. is tense. This is very, very tense. Um, it's... And it's evil, uh, too. Like, it, it features a character yeah. who is genuinely evil. Um, can you give us a plot rundown of what Gaslight is about? Oh, can I? Okay, so in the very beginning, a world-famous opera singer is murdered at her home, uh, but they've figured out that the perpetrator, like, left without without duels, right? Um, and our main character is the daughter of this woman. And then the movie kind of zooms forward niece, in the future. Niece. niece, that's niece, yeah. Zooms forward in the future. Uh, she's an adult now, and she has started dating this man who now wants to make her. They end up moving in together, and then some strange things start happening that she's unsure about. Like the gaslights start to light up and dim without any seeming warning, but her husband continues to tell her that it's her imagination. 
Um, so she kind of slowly feels like she's losing her mind. Um, and he is essentially telling her that she is like, oh, you're so for- forgetful. You are so clumsy. You make all these mistakes. See, it's a good thing I'm here to look out for you or what would possibly happen to you. And then the movie kind of unfolds and you find out he is not exactly who he says he is. Um, so that's the kind of general plot outline of this movie. But I think you used the perfect word to describe this movie. And that is tense. Um, and uh, Ingrid Bergman is is the lead character in this and she is phenomenal. And I was really impressed with this performance of hers in particular because, you know, we've seen her in stuff like Casablanca, um, and usually she's very refined, right? Maybe you could argue a little bit distant, a little bit of an ice queen, um, but still plays romance very well. That is not this role. Like, she does, because she feels like she's losing her mind— she as actress plays into that. And there are numerous moments where she is just like screeching and losing her losing her shit repeatedly. But it's very convincing and it's horrifying. Like you're watching this and I you know, it would be interesting and this is impossible. It would be interesting to watch this without knowing what gaslighting is. So like you watch this, you know you know what's happening, right? And I would say the movie gives you a good thirty, forty minutes before they really let you know that, like, yes, this man is evil. Like, there's a little, like, he has an evil look, right? He's got the arched eyebrow, and he's always looking down at people. So you're like, yeah, this guy is not a, not a great character. He's not someone I want to hang out with. But they wait and wait and wait, and then they have a scene where he's, like, sneaking out of the house, and you see him ducking behind a wall to kind of mess with the guy. And, and then you're like, okay. But up until then, they do a really good job at, like, keeping this stuff hidden. Like, there's a whole plot point where he gives her a brooch. And says, like, this was my mother's, you know, I want you to always hold it dear. And she goes to put it on, says, I'll never take it off. He's like, ah, well, the clasp is broken. Why don't we put it in your purse? Um, and then we can take it out after we get home tonight and I'll get it fixed. And then you find out much later he has stolen this. He has, like, palmed it or whatever. But up until then, there's, like, this, there's a little bit of unsurety, like, uh okay, who did that? Who lost it? You know, and they kind of teach you. But of course, as you watch this with a name like Gaslight, you're like, okay, well, this man is a liar. Uh, We know that because that's the kind of movie we're watching. Uh, But it's a really, really impressive movie, like just from a filmmaking perspective. And, you know, this won two awards. It was nominated for seven. And what a better world if you flip this and Going My Way. If Going My Way wins like one award, like it wins like Bing Crosby, God bless him. Give him the best actor and then give everything else to Gaslight a much better world. Thankfully, oh, yeah. Bergman won, right? She yeah. won best actor. She did. Him, right? And yeah. and it's thankfully as well. I mean, she's one of the greats, of course, but it never feels like a makeup award for uh, Casablanca. No. You know, it no. never because this this deserves to win by itself I would, like like Casablanca is a better movie this is a better performance from her sure this demands yeah. more of her. yeah and it's it really puts her through the ringer in a lot of ways um it's God. this poor woman <laughs> fuck <laughs> you know she she portrays somebody who is being forced into losing their mind um so powerfully and she's trembling at the end of the film right. like absolutely trembling and you know i guess for me the the difficult thing of watching this kind of film is that now i don't know too much about psychiatry and stuff like that in this time but i get the impression that there was certainly still the leaning on our women yeah they got hysteria yeah Yeah, they're crazy yeah no for sure definitely during this time yeah 
And that's the thing that kind of leaves me even more shaken by this film, even more devastated. And even though Joseph Cotton's character, who, as you're talking about, for the first kind of half hour, I was like, but this Italian guy can't be the villain. Joseph Cotton's going to turn up. He's going to be the bad guy. Like, I kept on expecting him to be the bad guy. A hero. (laughs) Yeah, he's a hero, and it's nice to see. Like, I'd like to be rescued by Joseph Cotton. Who Who wouldn't? Yeah. Um, but he, while well, he's there, and, and I want to kind of talk about that character in a little bit, but um, he comes along and while he knows what's going on, um, he, I just don't, I'm not sure that poor Ingrid Bergman's Paula is going to be safe after this. She's not going to be given the care and support and, and tenderness and, and the, mental support that she needs afterwards. She's going to continue to become a broken person. And that's even more devastating. And um, it just goes to show how far we've come along Mm. with mental health care. But I also don't think that this is kind of the film that is like advocating for mental health care. It's just showing it's a manipulation of somebody's mind. Um, Did you find that at all? Was that ever on your mind? It's interesting. I, I actually disagree with the idea that she's going to be broken and she's going to like be terrified the rest of her life because this is something I love about this movie. I was I was worried that this movie was going to lose me right at the end that I was going to be pissed at it because it was going to have Joseph Cotton swoop in and save the day. And he does. But the movie gives her the agency at the end of the movie. She is the one who makes the final decision whether to believe her husband or not. She's the one who finds all these things that he's been hiding. And she's the one who, she kind of fucks with him at the end. Like, oh, am I losing my mind? Is this really a knife? Huh, I don't know. Be quick, Paula. Get me the knife, cut me free. Would you get it, Paula? Would you get it for me? Yes, I'll get it. I'll get it for you. Hurry, Paula. There's no knife here. Yes, I put it there. I don't see any knife. I put it there tonight. It isn't here. You must have dreamed you put it there. Are you suggesting that this is a knife I hold in my hand? Have you gone mad, my husband? Or is it I who am mad? Yes, of course, that's it. I am mad. I'm always losing things and hiding things, and I can never find them. I don't know where I put them. That was a knife, wasn't it? And I have lost it. I must look for it, mustn't I? If I don't find it, you'll put me in the madhouse. Where could it be now? Perhaps it's behind this picture. Yes, it must be here. No. No, where shall I look now? Perhaps I put it over here. Yes, I must have done that. My brooch. The brooch I lost at the tower. I found it at last, you see, but it doesn't help you, does it? And I'm trying to help you, aren't I? Trying to help you to escape. How can a mad woman help her husband to escape? But you're not mad. Yes, I am mad, as my mother was mad. No, Paula. That wasn't true. Help me. If I were not mad, I could have helped you. Whatever you had done, I could have pitied and protected you. But because I am mad, I hate you. Because I am mad, I have betrayed you. And because I am mad, I'm rejoicing in my heart without a shred of pity, without a shred of regret, watching you go with glory in my heart. Mr. Cameron, come. Come, Mr. Cameron, take this man away. Take this man away. 
if you just have Cotton swoop in and save the day and then credits roll and she collapses into his arms, then I agree with you. Then I'm like, oh, yeah, she is been beaten and like she is never recovering from this but they gave her that little bit of oomph at the end of the movie and i was really happy with that and like the whole per- her whole performance is great but like she really brings it together in that last sequence man like i was like yes like i i had like a very emotional raw reaction to this and and you know we kind of talked about how great the performance is but it's it's a performance that is over the top um it is melodramatic um you have to believe that she believes, right? You have to believe that she believes her husband. And it ha- there has to be a build. Because when it first starts happening, there's a little bit of like, no, of course not. Like, I didn't lose it. That couldn't have been me, blah, blah, blah. And then as it goes, it goes, it goes. You do, and, I, and I'm trying to figure out exactly when it happens. Maybe it's the the musical performance that they're sitting through. Um, that's the moment where, I, like, where you realize, like, oh, Paula really thinks that she has lost her mind. Like a hundred percent. Like she, she is shaking. She is crying. All of her worst fears are coming true in this moment, and you see it on her face, in the way she holds her body. And it's a very difficult thing for an actress to do when she looks as beautiful as Bergman does and is dressed to the nines as she is in that scene to look not powerful and frail and shaken to the core, almost without any dialogue. Like there's, you know, the kind of yelling and the, and the shaking, but almost all this is done in body language. And it's, and like, honestly, you could just watch that scene in a vacuum and you could see the fear in her and man, it really works. Like I just thinking about that scene, like I get goosebumps from that performance and that is a rarity. Like there are very few performances that really, you just think about even a week after you've seen them and you're just like, Whoa, Oh man, there is a lot. She is really doing the heavy lifting. Like, her evil husband is there to like have very ridiculous eyebrows and be shot in a certain way where it's like just his brows are lit up. It's very like you look at this guy and you're like, this guy's clearly evil. Like there's no there's no way around this. this is it's not a little like, too obvious at times. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Like I you know, this is a very different movie, but I do <laughs> I do keep thinking of a line from a Kevin Smith movie. Um where you know they look at Ben Affleck, he looks like a date rapist. Like that, <laughs> like he very much does. Where you're like, this even when he's smiling, you're like, oh, this pompous, arrogant jerk. Like, stay far away from this man. Everybody knows that you should not be hanging out with this guy. Uh, but she has fallen for him, and she loves him, and that you know that's enough of a reasoning for me. We have all made poor decisions in relationships. We've all done that for sure. Um, and I, I think it works in the sense that Joseph Cotton could not be further away in presentation than this than this other man is. Like, so you have very different aspect between the two of them. And there's there's also just some wonderful, wonderfully filmed shots in this movie. There like are that, yeah, yeah. that moment where they unveil the painting of her aunt. Like, oh, my God, what a dramatic moment. Like, and you and you see his reaction because he remembers and you see her reaction, her reaction of sorrow. Like, it's just there's so many shots in here. It's it's like the opposite of Casablanca. We talked about how Casablanca actually for such a great film has very few memorable, quote unquote, one perfect shots um, in it. And this is just full of them it's the lighting it's the staging like even just the zoom in on the spot on the wall where the the picture has been stolen and you just see the outline of where then because it's been there for so long and and the moment the moment where he grabs the letter from her 
And you also get to see him think on his feet later where he lies and said there was nothing written on that letter. And that's a moment where I was like, oh, you absolute vile monster. You are the absolute worst. Like, you're angry at him throughout this whole movie, but there's a, there's two or three moments where you're just like, this man deserves death. Like, this man should not be breathing air. Like, he is the absolute worst. Like, And it's funny because there are many movies that have vile characters, as you mentioned, like a man who's purely evil. And sometimes it doesn't work because they're so evil. You're like, ah, I can't take this seriously. Like, who would ever put up with this? Because he's clearly a bad guy. But this movie skirts that line very, very well. And I think it's because Bergman is is such a good actress that you're drawn to her. And you're just like, I want the best for her. And you're scared for her. But I think as well, because while Charles Boyer as as Gregory uh, is engaging, he is interesting. Um, He is... I do wonder about their, their choice of using somebody with an accent to be evil. Like he's, he's both alluring and aging and you can understand why somebody would be entranced by him. That's important because Andrew, all American accents are evil. We've determined this. This is, this is true. This This is is the shorthand for American film. Uh, that one talks funny. Uh, we don't like him very much. Exactly. Um, but he's he is you know like because he's so obviously evil you can understand as well why Paula would still be entranced by his oh yeah he's so forward um you like me I'm going to make you like me he's so, so sure I can of do himself. everything around her like yeah. everything he says even like not only just the you like me but all the actual gaslighting like you do catch yourself going like well I don't know maybe maybe yeah. he's right like he's so sure he's so confident. Why would he lie? He has no, that we know of. He has no reason to lie to us. So okay. But I think I think the main thing that really helps as well, and it strengthens Bergman's performance, is that she has really excellent characters to work against, mm-hmm. and because essentially she's trapped in this house, and you know Gregory is there, and he's the evil person, but he has two people along his side that are kind of forced into following what he says and doing what he says. They're the he help. Pays the, bills. The, yeah. That's... Yeah. And that's Elizabeth, played by Barbara Everest, and Nancy, played by Angela, Angela Lansbury. Lansbury. A... Like, I... Yeah. Okay, so this is my only, and this is not the movie's <laughs> fault, this is my only negative of the movie for me, is I was so distracted by young Angela Lansbury. Because, like, as most people, I know her as an older actress. Right. I know her from murder. She wrote. I know her as like, you know, doing voices in Disney movies like a nice, a nice old lady, um, you know. And of course, she had this amazing career, like both on stage and on screen mm. before. But it's always I don't know. If, maybe it's just me. I don't know if you have this as well. If you see an actor who you've only known as an older actor and you see them as a young person, like it, it takes a while to wrap your head around it. Like I just kept staring. I like they just that's Angela Lansbury. Like, that's Murder, She Wrote. Like, how do I... It's like, you know, when I see, like, Christopher Lee um, in, a, in a role when he was in his 20s, when he was playing Dracula or whatever. It takes a good 20, 30 minutes of him on screen to just kind of move past it because I'm just so distracted by it. And it's also weird to see her playing, I mean, just a mean, mean character. And saucy. But I don't, I don't think like, she means to be mean, though. Like, I, I think that true. that's... Andrew, like, come on! That scene where she's like, you know, getting them in the in the carriage, 
Like she's shitty. She's mean. She's cruel. And she hates the she's woman. She's shitty. I don't think that she's mean. I she's shitty because she had her night set where she could go out and then they're like, No, I actually wanna go out. And she had something in her mind, and she I, I don't think she's mean there. I think she, that she's but just not like... Not maybe not here, but she does not exactly treat her kindly before that. Like she, she doesn't treat her kindly, but I think that she is very much like... I think the power of that performance, and she was Oscar-nominated in her debut performance, as deservedly so, I think. Not bad. I think she is doing... Like, the, the layers of gaslighting in this film don't just apply to Paula. Because I think they also apply to Nancy, too, who is following Gregory's line. And she's following how he treats Paula. And that rubs off on Nancy. And she's oh, like, yeah. okay, well, yeah. if, if he's treating her like this, then I have to treat her like this, too. So what you're saying is, is it's fine to treat people terribly as long as someone else does it first. That's what that's that's what we're going with. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Don't you be no, putting words in no, my mouth. No, I hear what you're saying, especially because she is hired help. Like she is responding to the person in charge. Um, and actually, she's not as um, not as creepy to me as the other woman who works there because um, she feels like a kind person until she flips at the end. And, like, totally betrays Paula. And it is, like, it is hard to watch. Because you do think for a second. And that is another moment that's really, really uncomfortable to watch. Like, you know, Joseph Cotton sweeps in and explains everything that's going on. And then five minutes later, she is now like, oh, maybe, maybe I imagine that too. Like, and you see it in her eyes. Like, she is truly, again, panicked. Like, oh, God, what is wrong with my mind? I'm losing it. Like. Truly, look at what's happening. But you can understand why they might be like that, though. Because as mentioned, you know, throughout the film, it's like, if they say anything or do anything, then they'll be out on their, on their ass losing their job. Wow. And yeah. and that itself is a tangible fear. It doesn't sometimes excuse their behavior, but it kind of, it colors it in a way where you're like, okay, I can understand why they will continue to side against this guy. Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, and we we talked in our last episode about, you know, going my way being this crowd pleaser and making all this money. This made some good money, too. This, yeah. made, almost, this made almost $5 million at the box office in 1904. That's, that's big, big money. So I find it interesting that during this time, people either wanted something that you didn't have to think about that was, like, blindly crowd-pleasing or just the darkest shit you could imagine. Like, just, like, <laughs> slowly losing her mind over two hours. Like, these are the two things that people in 1944 wanted. One of them was a good choice, and one of them was going my way. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But, ah, oh, man, Andrew, this was so good. And I just, like, I just watched it, like, two days ago, and I kind of already want to watch it again because I really want to watch um, Bergman's, uh, acting even closer because like there's just so much going on there like behind the eyes her body the way she holds herself the way she reacts to people like that sequence where she's about to leave the house by herself and basically she starts getting questioned by Angela Lansbury's character is so deflating it's one like it just it's a stab in the heart where you watch really her is. realize oh actually I am trapped I can't leave I can't explain myself. I can't explain why I would leave. And I feel like I have to explain every step I take to this man. And it is so disheartening to watch. 
See, it's those aspects that make me concerned for Paula going forward because I just wonder, like, they're the ingrained things. that You may be free from the person. You may be consciously aware of what's going on. But when you're doing mundane things like just going for a walk, mm-hmm. you know, that's where I fear that it'll trigger in a mind and be like, oh, I have to justify this. How do I justify this? And, you know, I've got to explain it to somebody and stuff like that. That that kind of thing is what has me yeah. concerned. Yeah. yeah, it's a valid point. I mean, I think, I think like, obviously we don't know, right? There's no gas like to electric boogaloo. We don't, we don't know where this goes, if only. Um, Damn but, it. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's our million dollar idea. That's our thousand dollar idea, Andrew, is, is uh, gas like too. Um, but um, with the way I see it is like, I think she ends up with Joseph Cotton. I think they're a happy couple. And for about a year when they're first together, she's constantly going like, I'm gonna go for a walk. And he's gonna be like, I don't care. Go ahead. You're a grown ass woman. What do you want? And eventually she's gonna be like, oh. Oh right, I don't have to. I don't have to check with people. That was all this man playing havoc in my brain. I'm gonna be okay. Yeah. That's how I think it's gonna go. Maybe I am overly positive, but that's how I see it going. Yeah, I'm a cynical old prick, so you know it's understandable. Um, everybody's gonna wallow in, in sadness and despair as we get Jeez. older. This is right. <laughs> God, last episode is all about like priest raping little boys and now it's like we're all going to be sad forever Just give up jesus Christ, i'm not saying man. give up i'm saying wallow in it wallow in it people just you <laughs> yeah, know. actually i want you more sad i don't want you to give up on the sadness jesus yeah. paula i am on your side andrew wants bad things for you he wants you to continue to be gaslit and just wallow in your sadness not yeah. me one of right, us is so- a good person yeah, so this film is directed by George Cooker, but if you take that name off, you'd be absolutely certain this was an Alfred Hitchcock film. Except, oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Except, Except I I think that here's my only flaw with the film, right? Is okay. there are two peripheral characters who are effectively the characters who help save Paula. One less so than the other. Um, Bessie Thwaites, who at the, at the, the beginning encounters Buller on a train and in one of my favorite scenes of the film where she's reading this story and it's like yeah, you know I nice. just love the murder stories and and the beginning goes, of true crime this yeah the beginning of true crime nonsense oh my goodness oh good gracious oh it's so exciting your book yes it's all about a girl who marries a man and what do you think he's got six wives buried in the cellar that seems a lot Yes, and I'm only at page 200, so I'm sure there's still more to come. Oh, it's a wonderful book. Oh, it sounds a little gruesome. Uh, yes, well, I'm afraid I enjoy a good murder now and then. My brother always calls me Bloodthirsty Bessie. Yeah, that's a good name. Yeah, you know, yeah I would watch that movie, Bloodthirsty yeah. Bessie. That sounds like a great movie, yes. I, I think in another era, she would be, um, you know, one of the characters in um, uh, the that Drew Barrymore film, the... Um, roller skating film, roller derby film, uh, the names, uh, okay. whatever it is. We talked about it on a podcast. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> anyway, that movie. Um, and she kind of manages to somehow enlist uh, Brian Cameron, who is Joseph Cotton's character. And look, these characters are... I, Whip, I, it. Whip It is the name of that movie. Whip, Whip it. it, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Great movie. People, you should watch it. Yeah, it is a great film. Um, 
So Joseph Cotton's character and Dame May Whitty's character, Bessie and Brian, I I understand their role in the film here. They are there to save Paula from her presence because otherwise nobody would. Mm-hmm. Nobody would save her. And she also, because of the manner that uh, the help have been basically turned to Gregory's side, there is nobody within the house who is going to help her get out. And she's... It's really important that we see that scene where she struggles to go outside because she can't mm-hmm. even save herself. And so we're paint- the film has painted Paula into a corner here. And yet, I think the thing that really distinctly shows that this is not an Alfred Hitchcock film because I think that he would have been able to finesse these side characters a little bit more to make them feel like sure. they were integral to the story rather than needing to be there so he gets out of the house. Because while Joseph Cotton is fantastic, I could watch him in anything, his character is less of a character and more a meddler. He's just literally mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. and Just gets in the way. Yeah, Just gets in the way. And, and I'm not saying that in like a, ah, oh, I really wanted Gregory to get away with this, but he does get in the way in a way that is kind of a little bit creepy in the sense that both he and Bessie just stand there in the square and watch this take place in mm-hmm. a way that is kind of like, all right, how how ethical is this? He's doing the right thing in trying to save her, but he's got a job, he's got a life, and yet he's spending all of his time manipulating police to try and make sure that this woman is okay and all in a hunch. Right. All on this feeling that something's not right. And he's right. Good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Good. If he was wrong, this would be a very different movie. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And That's and there point. are stories that are like that where we have this meddler who is like, Oh, I think this is happening and then you find out no, actually it's not. But it's like I just that rubs me a little bit wrong. Because I mm. think it's morally ambiguous, but the film never plays into the, the moral ambiguity of that character. Sure. It sure. always shows him as the hero. And that's fine. You know, there has to be a hero here. Um, but I, I just find that really, like a little bit difficult to sit with because mm. he's doing something that's wrong to get something that's right. Right. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Um, no, I think I think that's a really good point. It's something that didn't occur to me, um, but that makes a lot of sense to me that it is morally ambiguous. And if if this man was innocent, like this would be a really uh, really different in in oh, yeah. a, a messed up movie in a different way. Right? It would be suspicion, you know, in yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Another five star movie. So yes, <laughs> good work, Andrew. I like that comparison. Um, Something I love about this movie that, like, would be so easy for the movie to take a misstep with is the, you know, very obvious symbolism at the Tower of London. Um, the Tower of London is, you know, it's basically a it's a museum of horrors. Like, it's like, here's how we, how, here's how we murdered prisoners. Uh, here's how we punished them. And it's like, it's a movie about torture, right? That's what this movie is about, is him torturing her to insanity. So the fact that it's set up, and, like, that is one of the earliest moments where I'm like, ooh, this guy is no good. Because, like, he's so condescending. When he start, when she starts talking about the jewels, and I, I know, I know. Like, basically just two steps away from, will you shut up? It's interested in what you have to say, you know? And then in the background, you have this 
this very dry telling of like how these people were stretched and their limbs were torn off and all this terrible stuff while you're following along this supposedly happy couple. And I love that. And it would be so easy to like over like if they go one step too far, which they are very close to. In this scene, because this is not a subtle bit of symbolism that is going on here. It is very in your face. But if they take one more toe and go a little bit further, then you just start like rolling your eyes and like, oh, God, who cares? But that stuff really, really worked for me. Um, And that it also gave him all these opportunities to mess with her during those sequences. It also gave the, you know, Cooker a chance to like really kind of dive in and show some fun stuff in the Tower of London and it gives an opportunity for our lead male character some mistakes that you like. He he kind of like, oh, yeah, I've been there before. And she's like, what are you, what are you talking about? You've never been here before. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, I heard about it. And it's very, you know, and it's it's very at the top like a lot of this movie is. But it's really, really great setup mm-hmm. for everything else that happens later. Yeah, it is. And I like those moments because of the fact that, yeah, as you're saying, he's like, no, no, no. You know, it just gives him another moment he's very opportunistic in a way where he's like no no the guide told the side mm-hmm. you know and, i heard yes yeah and it's like it, he never fails to take a moment to manipulate paula and um really turn her against herself mm-hmm. I, I also kind of want to talk about the um the costume design here because there is an interesting difference between uh how Joseph Cotton is presented and how mm. uh, Charles Boyer is presented. Charles Boyer is presented full face. There's no hat. It's just his face. And he has a receding line, which is, you know, I'm not um, trying to say anything against it, but there is a feeling of like, there is so much face mm-hmm. that he is so overbearing. Whereas yes. Joseph Cotton has a tall hat on. He's got a top hat on. And it's a really, really, quite a large pipe one and there is this powerful shot of him standing in the darkness waiting for Gregory to get out of the house mm-hmm. and we're behind the cameras behind him and he's just in silhouette and this powerful hat which just makes him look so much taller and ideally that should make him feel more threatening but you actually kind of trust him a little bit more because he is mm-hmm. a little bit more regal he yeah. is a little bit more formal uh, and I find that really interesting as well. It's just these subtle design choices of showing the difference between, you know, somebody we can trust and somebody we shouldn't trust. Uh, I, I found that really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the costume design is great. Um, it's, it's just about perfect. And like, I mean, she also like, you know, the costume designer dresses her very well, too. Like she is she's always beautiful. I mean, there's no getting around how this woman is, but that. That sequence where she decides out of nowhere to get dressed up and like we're going out tonight and there's like a power behind her for once, like the camera like just like turns to her and you're like, like I gasped like, oh, my God, like you just forget just how beautiful this woman is and like the power that she has in that moment, which is, of course, ripped away very quickly after that. And you see him taken aback and have this realization of like, oh, I got to I got to step up my game. I got I to gotta really get inside her head because she's getting a little bit of her back. And most of that is done with costume design. I guess. Yeah. Excellent. Did it win for costume design as well? I don't think it was even nominated. Um, oh, it, Jesus Christ. It, um, no. No, not at all. Yep. So. Well, that is disappointing. Stupid Oscars. What do they know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, they don't know anything. Did they even have a costume designer in that period of time? Oh, that's um, a good they question. Had art direction. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Okay. Well, I forgive them. They didn't have the award. That's fine. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure they feel better now that I've forgiven them. That's. <laughs> they they really do all those all those years all those, that's those right. times ago. Yes, they were just waiting for this moment. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely no costumes. Um, but that's not far that it comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, Gaslight was one of the films which I was kind of, you know, starting off this podcast. It's one of the films that I was really interested in watching, and part of the reason why I wanted yeah. to do this particular show was because. You know, we have major terms for films that have come into play, mm-hmm. like gaslighting. Um, I, I'm curious, obviously this film was really successful then, and it has a cultural impact in a way like no other uh, Best Picture nominee that I've seen in a long time. How and why do you think it managed to sustain itself into the vernacular? Because for me, like, it feels like it feels like in the past 10 years, the term gaslighting has really come in prominent, and yet I hadn't really paid attention to it or heard about it much more prior to that. Yeah. Uh, was that the case for you too? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a relatively new term. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I, you know, you kind of talk about how, you know, movies like last, and I'm, I'm not convinced that this one has, like, this is a, like, it's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's something that I just started hearing about again within the past five or ten years when the term gaslighting came to prominence, and it feels one of those things where like there's there was something happening and someone went back into pop culture to kind of see like okay what because like if you think about the term gaslighting and think about what the definition of it it doesn't make any sense uh, like it's like wait why would you call it that that doesn't make any that's that doesn't work uh, and then you watch this movie and you're like oh. I get it. So I don't think it's something that's like stayed in prominence. It's something that's been revealed now. Right. Mm. If that makes sense. Um, I'm glad it has because like someone coining that term has led it very indirectly to me seeing this wonderful, amazing performance, this great movie. But it's I this is this is the type of thing that like ends up enraging me about the movies that end up lasting and the ones that get ignored. Like I'm like, why? Why didn't this one? Why didn't this one stick? Because it's so good. It has almost no faults. Like you brought up one thing that kind of like, you know, kind of bothers you a little bit, but that's a relatively minor thing. And it's yeah. so phenomenal. And it's got big stars in it. Like this is a movie that should on it. And this is a movie had it won the Academy Award for Best Film. I think it does get remembered. But because it lost, it kind of got lost to history a little bit. But yeah, it's definitely a thing that's come to prominence in the in the last few years. And didn't you... Didn't you tell me you had an opportunity to see this in a theater? I did, yes. Literally two days ago, yeah. And did yeah. you go? I didn't go. No, I had uh, I had other things that I needed to do. And as as terrible as this sounds, they were also showing it with Casablanca, and I'm like, I've literally just watched that. Oh, that's um, fair. I mean, you did yeah. just like a week ago <laughs> watch that. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, oh, I, I do want to watch that again, but on the same hand, I'm like, oh, you know, I've got all these other things to do. So sure. I didn't get to see it in the cinema, but um, I'm glad that people would have gone along screening and yeah. seen it just because, oh, Casablanca's showing. Oh, I don't know what the other film is, but, you know, oh, at least I'll so watch good. that. Damn. And I think that, you know, in this case of kind of having the term gaslighting becoming a cultural event a cultural thing 
uh, yeah, it has overshadowed the actual, um, the actual film itself. But I do yes. wonder, like, obviously this is something that was going on to people before the film existed. It's part of human nature in a way, you know, one of the cruel aspects of human nature. But I'm, I'm curious what it would have been called otherwise. You know, it feels right. it's one of those aspects of how people treat other people that it's like, well, it has to be gaslighting. It has to right. be. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's like, I'm so glad this movie exists just so that terminology can exist because it, it does tell you everything you need to know about the situation very Because cool. what would it be like, I don't know, like mental manipulation? Like it's like this because that's all it is, you know, like. Yeah. But but now we have a nice succinct term that people are now starting to understand what it means. We're nice. And then you go back and watch this and you're like, oh, yeah, that is accurate. That's exactly what's happening. And that is a type of abuse that has been happening forever. We just didn't necessarily have a term for it. And now we do, which is nice. It's good. Yeah. So from a professional standpoint, let's let's get clinical here for a moment. Okay. For you, yeah. For you, how do people, I'm not sure, suggesting that you give people advice on how to solve this problem but if people like, are fine and like people can i give them tips on how to gaslight people is that what you want that's <laughs> just watch this film and um you know yeah, you'll learn what you need to learn yeah yeah um and i think uh, certainly with that in mind part of the thing like for me sometimes i worry about these kinds of films not the saying that they're going to encourage people to do this kind of stuff but they do it so well and so mm. powerfully that you could tell that you know, if there's somebody who's evil, they were going to do something evil already. Um, but sometimes this kind of film is like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Um, yeah. I'm not saying this, this film is going to intru- like encourage people to do that. It's not that kind of film. It's not Joker. But it's, um, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know. But the question is, is basically when people find themselves in this kind of situation, how, and they don't have a Joseph Cotton to save them. How do they get out of this? How do they, so you know? A great question. This is why this is why having support and having a community is really important and having people in your life um, that are willing to speak up when they see some odd things happening. Because if you trust and love someone, there's not a really good defense for this, right? Because we want to believe that the people we love are trustworthy. We want to believe that they're good people even when they're showing us that they're not over and over again. So having friends and having family in your life is desperately important. And this is true for all of us, right? I mean, I remember like being like, you know, not to bring up myself, but like thinking about my my past relationships. I've had very few people in my life that have been willing to be like, yeah, this person doesn't seem like, seem like they have your best interests at heart. And that they that this doesn't seem like a really healthy relationship for you, like what's going on there. And it's really important to have those people in your life. And I was lucky enough to have at least two or three people like that in my last relationship really help. Like I still made a lot of mistakes, but I can look back and be like, oh, those are the people I can trust. And this Mm. is why human beings are not solitary animals. We are pack animals. We need support. We need people. We need to um, to have people hold up because we are all we can all make these mistakes where we trust the wrong people, right? And if you watch this movie, he doesn't do anything that makes him appear untrustworthy to her face. 
right? So mm. it's a hard thing to get away from. So yes, you have to build up your own moral center. You have to build up your own self-esteem. But you also need people in your life that you can trust, that you can bounce ideas off of. Be like, hey, this is what my partner said to me, and I don't I don't know if it's exactly right, and I'm a little unsure of myself. And also why you need therapy. Like this is, you know, because if you went to your therapist and told him or her, this is what's been going on in my home, this is what I feel like I'm going through, they can do some checks for you and be like, okay, let's talk about what happened. Let's talk mm. about this brooch that you lost. Let's talk about this picture that disappeared, right? And let's talk it through. And they can, and it's amazing what happens when you, because we all have crazy things in our head. Right. We have crazy thoughts. We have negative thoughts. We have things that don't make any sense. It's amazing what happens when you say them out loud to somebody, because when you let them rattle around in your head, you're like, whoa, like 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 her. You start like Paula. You start thinking, I am really crazy. But if you were to say that out loud, that like, OK, well, I put the brooch in my purse and I never opened my purse again the whole night and it has a drawstring and then it was magically gone. Oh, that doesn't really make sense. Oh, I um. I, you know, I took a picture off the wall that I have no memory of taking off the wall, hid it somewhere from myself. You say that out loud and you're like, okay, yeah, that cannot have happened. That is crazy talk. Um, Something else is going on, right? Mm -hmm. And I think Paula's mistake is trusting too much in people who are not trustworthy, who she doesn't know very well, whether it be this man or whether it be the hired help. Like she just buys into like, oh, well, they kissed a Bible. I guess I guess they're telling the truth. Like, that's the only part of the movie where I'm like, ah, come on, girl. You can do better than this. You can delve a little bit deeper than this. Like, yeah. like they have every reason to lie. They are being put, like, because imagine that they did this, right? Which they didn't, but imagine they did. You think someone's never lied after swearing on a Bible? Have you been to a courtroom in America? They will lie all the time. Like, it's, so you can't just trust that. So it's like, it sets it up so perfectly because she is a kind, giving, trusting human being that just happens to not have people in her life in that country that she can lean on, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the exact type of person that a gaslighter will go after because they're predators, right? Yeah. And they, they do it in careful. public. Yep. They do it in public. And that, and that's the thing so that other is people terrifying. Think crazy too, right? Yeah. So you, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the important thing when talking about that um, music sequence where – Everybody gets to see how Ooh. she reacts, and everybody is like, "Look at her! Oh my God! Look at her! Jeez! Yeah. Oh my God!" All the you know, and it's Ooh, it's rough. Yeah, and that's hard because it feels like an affirmation of her mental illness being, you know, capturing her completely, and. Everybody is like, well, we didn't believe that she was unwell because it sounds like an excuse, but now we see that she's unwell oh, and she's gosh. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. In that moment, though, I really like that one of the people is like, hey, maybe we should get a doctor. And <laughs> right. He's like, right. No, no, no doctors needed. I'll just take her home. She's very, very tired. Uh, yeah. Let's get her home. Yeah. But I did like that, too, where like someone, a logical human being was like, that woman looks like she's in serious distress. I don't know if it's all or physical or something else, but like we should get a doctor. Yeah, I did. I did like that moment too. But yeah. I, you know, you could mention just about any moment in this movie. I'd be like, yes, I like that moment as well. It is very good because it's a great movie. Um, and probably like if I had a book this year, this would be my Oscar book. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Like it's just it's it is really important and it is really valuable as a film and it's just interesting. Like it's yeah. just morally interesting where it's 
it's one of those things where I'm going to be thinking about this for quite a while because of the manner that it depicts something that happens so much. And certainly, you know, as a whole, like, I know Americans know better than most, having a president who Ooh. effectively engaged in mass gaslighting of a country. And yep. it worked for some people. It's effective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't work for others. And, you know, and that happens. And it's terrifying. It's yep. utterly terrifying. Um, and I manner, like, the manner that this depicts the act of this is just, it's just powerful. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad this exists. Yep. I know, and I know there's been remakes and stuff like that. And nah. as you're saying, it is a remake of it. But it, I haven't seen those. Yeah. But I think that this is the enduring version. Yeah. And and a year where this and Double Indemnity, also another great movie, are nominated and the fact that they gave it to Going My Way still just irks me. Like every time I think about that, I'm like, you had two amazing options, like truly great examples of cinema in two very different styles. And you went with Bing fucking Crosby. Like that's that's what you went with. Good God horrible yeah and that's such an ineffectual film like it's when as we get closer to the end of these you know running through all these films we've got a lot of films to go to it's just like films like going my way or you take it with you are like they're made by great people they have really great actors in them but they're just eh. yeah 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 and and luckily, uh, I'm going to be mad on our next episode, too. So that should be fun. Because um, I I did not realize that Mildred Pierce did not win Best Picture uh, until I just looked right now. And now I'm really pissed off because um, that's such a great movie. And God damn it. And I'm yeah. sure the last I've never seen The Lost Weekend, which is the next movie that we will cover. Uh, it's a Billy Wilder. Directed the Billy, yeah, Billy Wilder, like great director. So I'm sure mm. it's very good. But like Mildred Pierce, to me, is probably one of the, the 50 best movies I've ever seen in my life. Like, it's incredible. It's a masterpiece. It's yeah. yeah. So like, oh, man, you know, Mr. Wilder, you got some heavy lifting ahead of you for me not to be pissed off. I know you care. But, uh, it's uh, Lost Weekend better be great. Because uh, if it's not, I'm going to be in a bad, bad mood. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that because I've heard really good things about it. And it sounds uh, very, very interesting. And it's got Jane Wyman in it. And I always like watching Jane Wyman on screen because I think she's wonderful. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I, I think that it's going to be really interesting. And it's going to be interesting uh, to see how this kind of run of films sort of shake out in some ways yeah. um, because there are some really big heavy hitters. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, It's a Wonderful Life is coming up, that kind of film, and um, Miracle on 34th Street. And yet the films that win, who knows? Yeah, uh, we'll But find that's out. why we do this show. That's right. Yeah, we'll find out. And hopefully you will find out too if you join us and listen along. Um, there's been some really great uh, uh, feedback and stuff like that, which has been fantastic. So thank you for listening folks uh and i know that we're heading into some of the the bigger films and the more successful films and uh you know we don't get to choose what we cover because it all depends on uh whether it was nominated or won best picture so you know right. we are limited in our choices so unfortunately sometimes you get going my way and sometimes slight yep. um it's a roll of the dice one out of two ain't bad that's okay one out of two ain't bad what are we going to do it's a bonus episode for I th- this one i feel like there's only two choices um, cause I'm not doing the bells of St. Mary's. I will fucking quit this podcast. If I have to talk about another 
fucking because that's a sequel, right? So it's, it's a sequel to Going My Way, right? Uh, Is it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's, it's the first sequel to ever get nominated for an Academy Award. I'm not doing that. Um, so we either, we either got to go with Mildred Pierce, a masterpiece, have you said, or we go back to Hitchcock. Um, with a Hitchcock movie I've never seen. So, all right. Well, we will decide off air what's going to be um, because I've seen that and it's one of my favorite uh, Hitchcock films, especially because it's a really interesting film psychologically um, that features some fantastic dream sequences by Salvador Dali. And Ingrid so, Bergman. Uh, so, yeah. you know, maybe we'll do that. We'll decide off air. But I'm leaning towards that right now. But The Bells of St. Mary's also has Ingrid Bergman in it, too. I know, I know. <laughs> you may, look, it's, you can't make all good choices. Like, you know, sometimes, system, sometimes you end up with a movie in a movie with being goddamn Crosby, and you just can't avoid it. Sometimes it happens. Ah, uh, yeah, look, I mean, I was going to be game and watch Bells of St. Mary's just to see what the story of Chuck O'Malley's life continues on. But then I see Una O'Connor's in the cast and uh, I'm sorry, as as offensive as it might sound, I, I can't do films with Una O'Connor in them. Um, I, I just can't. I don't even know uh, who that is. Why Why are you so passionate about this person? Who is this person? You know who Una O'Connor is. You know. I don't. She's in <laughs> She's in Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, um, yeah. What, what? Right at the beginning. Well, she's actually throughout the whole film of Bride of Frankenstein is kind of the, the shrieking woman who's like, ah, Oh, I just... okay, gotcha. All right, now that makes sense. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, Gaslight. Does it matter? Yes, yes, it, yes it should matter even more. Please watch this movie, rent it, see it in a theater if you're not a bum like Andrew. Please go see this movie because it's fantastic. Yeah, I like Dave encouraging people in a pandemic. To yeah, yeah, the fuck it, Jesus. fuck it. I mean, we're all going to die in America anyway. No one's getting vaccinated. No one's wearing a mask. Just get vaccinated, wear a mask, and go to the movie theater with crazy people like me. Yes. See, yeah. I knew you'd come around to my, my viewpoint. Wallow in madness. <laughs> we're people. all going to die. <laughs> no, you can be happy before I Enjoy your time in the movie theater. Prop up the movie industry uh, like me, like idiots like me. Don't watch it on HBO Max. Go to the theater. Enjoy yourself before you die. Great. And where can people find you online, Dave? Oh, if you're still alive, uh, you can find me on Twitter, at DarnThatDave, uh, and you can tell me I'm a bad person, like Christopher Nolan, telling people to go to a theater during a pandemic. I, I think it's changed from... It, we're in 2021, so it's now Denny Villeneuve, who is uh, the villain this I year. I love to call him Denny. Like, he's like... <laughs> Denis. Come on, it's French-Canadian. Denis Villeneuve. Show the creator of Dune some goddamn respect, Andrew. <laughs> Get it together. The creator? Isn't that Herbert? Eh, that guy's dead. Who cares? Movies are all that matters, Andrew. Books? <laughs> Books you could do in your house alone. Movies you have to go out and brave a pandemic to see a giant sandworm eat people. Come on, let's do it. Fuck, I'm certain we're going to have to be discussed. Uh, that's... Uh... I'm loathing June already. Um, You're going to hate it. Is it, it. June? Or... You're going to hate oh, it. I, I guarantee it. I, I, people, people tune into us for the banter, don't they? Um, but is it June or June? June, June, June or June? <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell the difference between either of those words you're saying. So I'm just going to tell you it's spelled D-U-N-E. Dune, like a sand dune. <laughs> We're going to Bonnie what Dune. I'm, what I'm hearing is like, is it Dune or Dune? Like it, I, uh, it's Dune. 
I don't know. I don't know how to answer this question. I feel like you are punking me with your accent. I'm not punking you. I'm gaslighting you. Dave. Yeah, there it is. Nice. Very good. There we go. Right. Uh, I'll see you again. Uh, done that, Dave. Awards don't matter. The Curb AU. Uh, previous episodes of curb.com.au. Um, yeah. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on the next one. I've tried so hard to keep it within these walls. My own house. Ah, because you would go out tonight. The whole of London knows it. If I could only get inside that brain of yours and understand what makes you do these crazy, twisted things. Gregory, are you trying to tell me I'm insane? It's what I'm trying not to tell myself. But that's what you think, isn't it? That's what you've been hinting and suggesting for months now, ever since... Hmm? Since what? Since the day I lost your brooch. Yes, that's when it all began. No, no. No, no, it began before that. The first day here when I found that letter. What letter? The one I found among the music from that man called Bauer. Sergius Bauer, yes, I remember. Yes, you're right. That's when it began. Yes. I can see you still standing there and saying, look, Look at this letter and staring at nothing. What? You had nothing in your hand. What? I was staggered. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply.